You're listening to Null and Void with Tony Grundy and Andy Callahan, a For the Now media production. Sometimes it's very difficult to predict what will happen in the world of sport. At other times, like Tottenham's manager Antonio Conte leaving, even Null and Void predicted that one last week. Anyway, lucky you, you're tuned in to episode 95 of your number one sports podcast favourite. Tonight, we have masses of sports stories, some superb contacts from you, dear listener, and a sitting duck of a target for Get a Grip. My name is Tony Grundy. Mine's Andy Callahan. Now, Lord Balty of Pie, I hear you were at a rugby game at weekend. So what were the pies like? We must start with that. Uh, didn't try a pie. Uh, I was there with Billy Carr um, at Tottenham Hotspur, funnily enough. So uh, I've been where Antonio Conte hasn't been. <laughs> we were enjoying a a burger before the game and then went for a full curry, not just a curry pie, but a full curry afterwards. Um, and a bit bemused, I would say, by the offering at the stadium. Amazing stadium, fantastic ground, um, absolute devil to get to. That White Hart Lane um, underground station isn't big enough for the 60,000 people that were trying to get into and out of the ground, but a bit bemused by their beer. They've got this apparently fancy high-tech machine that you plonk the plastic pint pot on the top and it fills it from the bottom. Now, can you see the problem with filling a liquid holder from the bottom? Yeah, I, I get one or two things come to mind, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it leaks. Um, leaks quite badly. So uh, maybe we just had the dud ones every time. But uh, yeah, certainly not a not not a design that I would recommend in the future. But a good day out. It's a shame about the rugby as ever. The rugby ruined a good day out. All right. Well, I uh, well on a gardening front for me, I gave my five lawns a haircut. <laughs> the first of the season. The rest of my time I spent watching women's football, women's football uh, and rugby, plus uh, England's games in the Euro 24 qualifiers, all of which were really entertaining. Enjoy that. Um, anyway, first to my long list of sports, and hopefully it's the same list as you, Andy. Um, we've got boat race first, and Cambridge swept the board, didn't they? They did, yeah. Um, the men's and women's first eight both won, and then the reserve crews as well, uh, Goldie and Blondie, both uh, their races as well. So, yeah, a, a clean sweep for Cambridge. I thought that the the men's race was particularly exciting. I thought the risk that the Cambridge Cox took um, to go to the slacker water actually paid off. Not quite sure why the Oxford Cox decided to follow there, um, but made for a very interesting and exciting race. I think Oxford had flipped and flopped from being bookies' favourites to not, right up to when the race started, Oxford had been favourites. And then a couple of minutes beforehand, I looked at the odds and Cambridge were the bookies' favourites. So, uh, yeah, obviously something had changed in the hour before the race. But um, Cambridge, I thought, raced. A, certainly, I didn't see the women's. I, I hadn't got back in time. But... Um, the men's race, I thought they raced a particularly good race. And the Cox, yeah, definitely took a a gamble. But in that race, it's high risk, high reward. You know, there's no point coming second. So 
he risked it all and it absolutely paid off. Excellent. Excellent. So, yeah, they swept the board, uh, Cambridge. Uh, next up, I've got endurance running. And now we love to bring you new world records, but this is an absolute cracker. American Camille Heron has just smashed the world record for the 48-hour track endurance race in the Sri Shinne event in Canberra, Australia. Heron, who's 41 years old, covered the 435.86 kilometers, which meant 1,088 laps of the 400 meter track. Can you believe this? Jeez. Unbelievable. You'd be sick of the sight same track after that amount of time yeah and i'll tell you who also be sick will be the britain joe uh zazenksi uh broke the record uh only six weeks ago covering 411 uh, kilometers in the 48 hours so the record's gone on something as extreme as that can you imagine that a thousand laps of a track you know if, if you do four and you say hey we've done a mile no a thousand and eighty eight to get that record. It was just unbelievable. So uh, I met someone the other day and, and, and not nearly so challenging coming up this weekend is the Reading Half Marathon. I think it starts at 11.15 on the second, not Sunday the second. The race is now in its 40th year. You've run it a number of times, haven't you, Andy? Uh, yeah, I've run it, um, I think, four or five times, a couple of times when it used to start out near Whitley and also at the university and finish at Rivermead. And then I've done a couple where it's finished in the stadium as well, which is always amazing. I mean, you know, you actually feel a bit like you're at the Olympics when you run into the stadium there. Obviously, much, much slower than the Olympians by a <laughs> yeah. win-style waddle. But, um, yeah, you sort of feel that bit as you're, you're coming into the stadium and the, the, the roar of the five or six people who are sat there watching um, yeah, it's a it's a good event. And then last year, of course, I took part in a different guys. I had my high vis on and was uh, pointing people the right way around the roundabout. Yeah. Now, I met someone the other day talking about that finish in running into the stadium. And I don't know too many other marathons where that happens, but definitely that's a special thing. And I met he's a near neighbour of mine, and I see him with his dogs when I'm running out running. And he's actually doing the Reading Half Marathon coming this Sunday. And for him, one of the special things he said was running into his favourite football stadium because his team is Reading, uh, the Medeski Stadium or the SPL Stadium, as we officially should call it, but I'll always call it Medeski Stadium. And the story behind that, Andy, was, well, I think it's quite a good story because when I was working at, at Reading 107, I'd been asked to sit on the organising committee for the half marathon. Lots of years of problems had gone before over those 40 years that it now is, um, where the start and congestion in Reading, people were getting really miffed about it, the police and general public. Uh, and because uh, I was on the organising committee, they said, look, we've approached the football club on a number of occasions, but they won't hear of it. Could you, because John's, Sir John's your chairman for the radio station, could you meet up with them and try and get the finish 
into the stadium. I said, well, okay. Um, anyway, when I, Sir John actually, I told him this and he said, I'll fix the meeting up. I won't be there, but you, you, if you can get it and get it, end up. And um, anyway, I went into this uh, kind of darkened room in the stadium. And there were probably about 20, 25 representatives of uh, Reading Football Club there, some of whom I knew, Finance Guy mm-hmm. and people like that, chief executive. Um, and none of them were smiling. And I thought, oh, this is going to be interesting. So it was just little me. So I, I put my pitch in and I said, look, I'm here today, you know, and went through the thing and said, specifically to have, there's no marathon I know, uh, half marathon I know that's ever um, uh, had a finish in a stadium like this. And I said, as a runner, I can assure you there were many people who have never been to the Medeski Stadium. And it was relatively new then. Um, and I just think it will be fantastic for the club. It'll bring people over the threshold for the fans who have the opportunity themselves to run into the stadium. And I just think it was the best thing you could possibly do. Silence, a bit like that. And they <laughs> stared back at me and the finance guy said, if we open the stadium for any reason, an event like that, we would have to have all the security staff there, all the stewards there, everybody. And that would cost us a lot of money. And I, I anyway, we discussed how much it would be. And I said, okay, so if the half marathon people came up with that amount of money, you would go ahead because they kind of talked themselves very quickly into a corner. Uh, and they kind of looked at each other and didn't really know what to say. And somebody <laughs> said, well, I said, and obviously it won't clash with your fixtures. We'd make sure that didn't happen. It will be in April at some point ahead of the London Marathon. But this will bring runners from all over the country. <clears throat> and um, basically they, they, uh, they couldn't think of any other reason why not they said well we've never done it and I said that again with respect is not a reason why you wouldn't so I little me sat there and and got the success so I can actually say and I said it to this neighbor of mine not sounding hopefully not sounding too grand but the finish for the Reading Half Marathon now a matter of history was a big thing then and I made it happen you know, and I, I, I say, you might say, oh, you're just being boasting. But it was it was just me. And when I went back to the organising committee, they said, you've got it. We oh, fantastic. And it has changed. It doesn't stop there being chaos in Reading on the day. But relatively speaking, it's a much better, well, it's a brilliant finish, isn't it, running? Yeah. And I ran in there one year with my daughter, Fran, hand in hand with her as we came in, you know, and Things like that really do stick in your mind. Was it the year you and Fran did it where they changed the route and the Green Park bit was at the end rather than yeah. the start? Yes. Yes. That struck me as particularly cruel, that you go it, it, all the yeah, way around the stadium is, before finishing. I, I know. That was really, really tough psychologically, quite, quite apart from physically. But, yeah, uh, it, it was. So that was that was quite nice. Um and, and it went ahead from then and, and has remained there ever since. It just so happens this week that another landmark date, because that's April the 2nd, um, 
23rd of March was me um, three years ago, 2020, deciding because my golf club was closed, my swimming pool there was closed, I couldn't go to the classes there. What am I going to do? Because I was home-based like a lot of other people. <laughs> and I decided, perhaps foolishly, that I would up my training to train twice a day. And if you remember when lockdown started, it was beautiful weather. Um, so I was able to do that very easily, uh, just up my training. And as gradually things came back, I just added them back in and didn't really alter the twice a day. So sometimes I was doing three or four things, playing golf, swimming, and so on. And what I do on a regular basis now is um, I run six times a week. I do six interval sessions separately to that running. I swim five times. I play golf twice a week, admittedly, usually nine holes at a time. I do a stretch class, three weights uh, sessions, two static bike sessions, and six punch ball sessions with occasional table tennis thrown in. And I've kept that going. Uh, and, uh, it, you know, part of that is just my sheer bloody mindedness. But equally, it's added to my fitness. And particularly after I've been to see my daughter in Australia, I've added the interval things into each running session I do. I'm knackered just listening to all that, Tony. But, <laughs> but you saying there about how it was a beautiful weather when you started this, uh, you know, three years ago to the week. Well, Fast forward three years, it's certainly not been beautiful weather this week while you've been out training. Been no, and I got absolutely soaked this morning. I got, I got soaked this morning out for a run. Yeah, I, th I thought I might get away with it. I got halfway to Goring and realised that wasn't going to happen. And I knew when I got back, I had to do these six interval sessions up the road from my house to the bridge there and back. And... Uh, I thought the easiest thing now is go in, get warm, get my breakfast. And I forced myself, and I was absolutely so forced myself to do it. So sometimes bloody-mindedness helps, doesn't it? I mean, but I'm anyway, not saying it was wet in Reading this morning going out for a run, but I kid you not, down by the Kennet and Avon Canal, there was a bloke sat there leading animals onto a boat two by two. <laughs> Strangely enough, yeah. <laughs> anyway, it, it was... Um, Nice to recall three years on, mm. having stuck to it, and it and indeed added to my twice-a-day thing. <clears throat> so um, in the contacts later, there have been a few people who have commented on that because I put it on Facebook, so I'll, I'll name one or two names. Um, WSL and Champions League uh, this last week, and, and yes, the women's game has Champions League as well. So during, in, uh, during the week, in the quarterfinals of the Champions League Arsenal and Chelsea played in the first leg of their ties against Bayern and Lyon, respectively. Arsenal are 1-0 down after that first leg and Chelsea are 1-0 up ahead of their home ties this week, tomorrow and Thursday. Best of luck to them. In the WSL, I watched three of the games over the weekend, Liverpool uh, and Everton drawing one all, um, whilst United were 4-0 winners against West Ham. Arsenal were easy winners, playing at Spurs, winning 5-1. That was impressive. Some great goals scored there. This leaves things very tight at the top. I seem to be saying that every week, but the top four are ever so close. Manchester United are top, and City, they're both on 38 points. Then Chelsea and Arsenal follow 
on 37 and 35 points respectively, but they both have a game in hand. So there's a really exciting finish to come there as we approach halfway in the season. Mm. Good quality teams, though, when you watch them. Um, I've added in the men's there because that was Euro qualifying um, for 2024. Um, did you see either of the England games, Andy? Yes, uh, both of them. Um, I thought the Italy game first half, England looked really good. And then the second half, uh, Harry Maguire refound his club form for his country. And uh, strugg we struggled a bit in the second half. And then Ukraine, it was uh, a case of breaking them down. I thought Ukraine pretty much parked the bus and uh, England did well to find a uh, twice, find ways through that uh, defence very quickly. I think that double punch and that was game done. Yeah, and I, I, Saka's goal, the Arsenal player Saka, um, I don't think two goalkeepers would have stopped <laughs> that shot. Brilliant goal. It, it was he a belter. He looks at talent, doesn't he? But great goal from Saka. I really enjoyed that. And of course, uh, in the uh, Italy game, uh, Harry Kane became England men's highest ever scorer. So uh, he's taken yeah. record from Wayne Rooney. He has. No, it's fantastic performance from him. And clearly there are many more to come, I would suggest. Meanwhile, in the other nations, Scotland beat Cyprus 3-0 and played tonight, Tuesday, in a tough one at home to Spain. Wales also played tonight after a good away draw against Croatia. Um, Northern Ireland lost their second game against Finland, a home game, after beating San Marino, which you would expect, 2-0 away. So, uh, Andy, Women's Six Nations rugby. Yeah, so the Women's Six Nations kicked off this weekend and um, Sarah Hunter, that we talked about last week, captain England for the very last time in her final game of rugby. So, um, again, the mark of her as a, a human being, not just as a rugby player. I sent a note on social media on Saturday morning just say, good luck, you know, pretty much what we said in the pod last week about how she's handing the shirt on in a better place and she inherited it and, you know, wishing her all the best for whatever comes in the future as well as for Saturday afternoon. And thought nothing of it because she must have got thousands of messages like that over the weekend. Well, yesterday morning, Monday morning, plugged into my uh, social media and sitting there waiting for me was a message back from Sarah Hunter that she'd written... You know, thanks ever so much. Really enjoyed that. And thank you for the note and, and all the best. And just shows the mark of her as a human being that she would take the time to respond to people that don't she doesn't even know that had sent her those notes. But, yeah, she played brilliantly and, um, you know, deserved all the plaudits and the applause and the um, guard of honour at the end. Um, so, you know, but England won convincingly with a 58-7 win over Scotland. I think Scotland weren't as out of it as that scoreline uh, indicates. Scotland played some good rugby, but I think it really does show the difference. You know, England are three or four years down the road of professionalism. This is the first year that the Scottish team have been on full-time professional contracts. They yeah. closed that gap, but England played very, very well and were very clinical when they needed to be. So, uh, yeah, a very good win that sets them up to start uh, the defence of their um, championship and looking for another Grand Slam to go with the last year's 
Wales beat Ireland 31-5 and a similar situation there. Wales are a couple of years down the road of professionalism. Ireland have just implemented it. So again, the gap is there, but it will close. And then I think France was the surprise one because France and England went toe-to-toe through a lot of this World Cup back in October, November. Um, And France kicked off with quite a scrappy 22-12 win in Italy. Italy played very, very well. And I think France were quite surprised by that and maybe had underestimated how good Italy would be and how well Italy would come at them. So, yeah, with the Women's Six Nations, again, you know, it's running over the next couple of weeks through till uh, finishes at the end of April um, with the England-France game at Twickenham, where they're hoping to get a world record crowd of 45,000 plus. So I shall be part of that crowd, but really looking forward to what should be a good few weeks of women's rugby in the Premiership. Um, As I say, Billy Carr and I were at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. I think Quinn's hopes of making the top four are now looking very, very slender. Lost 36-24 to Saracens. Saris are one of those annoying sides that are just very, very... When when they turn up in that mood, they're very difficult to play against and they were really lethal inside the Quinn's 22. Um, Quinn's played better in the second half, but it was really over as a contest after about 30 minutes. Saracens just turned up and did a number and you know they've got some very clinical players obviously you know it would sound like sour grapes to talk about salary cap breaches at this point so i won't (laughs) they looked good they've secured a home semi-final in the playoffs with three games left of the regular season them and sale are that far ahead of everyone else but london irish moved into the top four uh for the first time this season with a win over northampton so they could be making a late run on the rails for the playoffs and Leicester consolidated their third place with a big win over Bristol. And then whilst it was light blue domination in the rowing, the boat race, it was also the Oxford-Cambridge varsity matches, men's and women's, in rugby at Twickenham this weekend. Now, again, I remember going to those games when there were 40, 50, 60,000 there in the crowd. It looked quite a thin crowd on Saturday. I think, you know, about yeah. 12,000, which is a real shame and a disappointment. But the light blues, the men won 15-10. So Cambridge came out again and continued that light blue domination this weekend. But the one bit of dark blue on the board all weekend was Oxford's women. And they won for the first time in seven years winning convincingly 31-12. So for those of us that are of a dark blue persuasion from living either in Oxfordshire or close to Oxfordshire, then that was the one bit of solace in an otherwise very Cambridge-dominated weekend. But a great win for Oxford's women. And as I say, first time in seven years that they won that fixture. Great. A lovely touch from Sarah Hunter there and responding to you. And also... I, I did watch the England-Scotland game throughout and I, I was very impressed with England. I, I, they're just so strong and fast. You know, they look a proper team, you know, and, and obviously that's my non-educated rugby view, but they were impressive. They were impressive. Yeah, we got to watch it. We pulled a bit of a fast one. We hooked into the um, the stadium Wi-Fi at Tottenham 
um, and sat in the bar after the Quinns game with a watching the women's game on the uh, on the phone hooked into the Wi-Fi, so it wasn't costing me a fortune. Watching it with a leaky pint. So. <laughs> <laughs> a leaky pint, yeah. That's bizarre. <laughs> that bizarre. Okay, um, I've got golf next, and I was reading that in a recent tournament in Texas, Rory McIlroy was playing, uh, and they did an analysis. He eventually got to the semifinals and was knocked out in the playoff. But before that happened, they did an analysis of 40 of shots off the tee and measuring the distance he was hitting. Because these guys are blasting it for miles. And there were 40-odd shots, and they ranged from 302 yards to 420 yards. Brilliant consistency uh, from McElroy even though he didn't win the event, because obviously there's putting as well. Um, <laughs> but apparently in 2022, he was second in the PGA Tour long-hitting averages that they have. And the, the guy that beat him um, averaged just one yard more, 421 yards, uh, one yard ahead of McElroy. So we'll see what happens in 23 on that one. So they do measure it. And considering, and I checked the height, he's only five foot nine, McElroy. He really is massively powerful. And if you don't actually know, he spends an awful lot of time. And I know you do know this, Andy, but he does spend a lot of time in the gym, as a lot of the top players do these days. So in muscle terms, he's very strong indeed. But that got me thinking, which player currently holds the world long drive record? Because there is such a thing. Is there? Well, I mean, that... John Daly used to hit it miles, wild thing. I don't know, though, he was one of the old-style players where he probably spent more time um, lifting pints of beer than he did lifting weights. So Yeah, well, there's a guy called Kyle, Kyle Berkshire. Uh, I don't actually know his nationality. I was going to check it, so maybe we'll follow that up. But he has hit 400 and 92 yards. <laughs> and with a club speed, inter interestingly, because they make, can measure that, of over 150 miles per hour. That just uh, makes a, a sort of average plodder like me feel a little bit queasy. I mean, without sort of wanting to embarrass you, Tony, but, you know, as a, a good but amateur golfer, you know, just really does it for fun. What would you sort of hit on a good day off the tee? What would be a, you know, that when you get it, you pull Big Bertha out of the bag and it really tickings yeah. off the uh, the driver, what would you sort of get? I think um, about 280 is the furthest I've hit. But that, mm -hmm. that's not bad. Probably... No. Uh, um, yeah, I think probably that would be the most, most of the bigger ones would be at 250 range. But I think there are charts of age and distance. You know, there is a correlation between the two things. Yeah. So that that wouldn't be too bad. Uh, but, uh, you know, if I hit 200, 220, I'm quite happy. You know, I got hold of it quite well then. But um, unfortunately, like anything, it's consistency, isn't it? Yeah, but just putting that into context, you know, that's a, a good hit for an amateur golfer. And yeah. these guys are regularly banging it double that. I mean, that's just... Ah. 
Um, well, the, the least the least that McElroy had hit was three hundred and two. Mm. You know, and obviously that's going to be relation to the hole. Sometimes, you know, it might be quite short, so you might be on the green with that. And I know he did in that tournament hit one on the green and, and next close to the flag, didn't he? Texas, he hit a three hundred and twenty-four yard drive off the tee, and it rolled up to within three feet of the hole. So not only is he absolutely booming it, but he's got that accuracy as well. Because you know, I know when I try to hit the hit the surface off the ball, I was going to say hit the leather, but it's not made of leather. But hit the surface off the ball, you know, there's a good chance it's going to go a good distance, but sideways as I've <laughs> iced or hooked it. So for him to be hitting it that sort of distance and rolling it accurately within three feet of the pin just phenomenal yeah and, and just flagging up the fact if anybody is listening to this and thinking i must must watch golf again <clears throat> then there's the masters that starts a week thursday this week um 5th of april through to the 9th uh, 6th of april beg your pardon through to the 9th and that's in the magnificent setting of augusta america worth seeing and you'll see all the top talents there both actually PGA and live golfers will be there together, which will make for interesting copy. I would suggest. <laughs> now, Andy, I've got next uh, rugby league. What can you tell us? Yeah. Um, so Warrington have gone top of the table, making it six wins from six starts with a 38 nil win over Castleford. And I remember someone tipping Warrington as a good team to look out for. At the start really? of the season. So I uh, can't think of who that was, but they're definitely living up to that. Catalans before the weekend were the only other team that were unbeaten. And they had their unbeaten start to the season finished by Leeds Rhinos, who were blowing hot and cold, very much win one week, lose the next. But this week was a win week, and they had a hard fought win over Catalans 32 22 at Headingley. So uh, yeah, Warrington pulling away at the top of the table now, and Catalans have had a setback. So it'll be interesting to see how Catalans react to that over the next couple of weeks. So uh, we've got mm -hmm. cup games coming up as well. So that'll sort of start to change how things look, and maybe teams will reshuffle their packs a bit. But definitely in the league, Warrington now sitting clear on top by a couple of points. Excellent. Um, cricket, what have you got now? Yeah, Women's Premier League, um, and what a finale that was. We talked last weekend about the fact that um, uh, Delhi Capitals had made it into the final and uh, Mumbai Indians were then going to play off against UP Warriors in an eliminator to see who played them in the final. Well, Mumbai Indians won the eliminator very convincingly, and they also beat Delhi Capitals in the final by seven wickets to take the inaugural Women's Premier League. At one point, Delhi were down to 79 for nine and looked like they weren't even going to see out their overs. But a last-wicket stand pulled them all the way up to 131. England fast bowler Izzy Wong took three for 42. And Barbadian Hayley Matthews took three wickets for just five runs. So um, there was an early wobble then by Mumbai, but they never really looked troubled when Nat Sibber Brunt 
the England vice captain and all-rounder and absolute star came to the crease and she added an unbeaten 60 to her unbeaten 72 from the eliminator in Friday's game. So another not out 60 in the final meant that they cruised home by seven wickets. So Mumbai Indians, the first team to win the Indian Women's Premier League, and Nat Sivabrunt got player of the match and player of the tournament. Good stuff. Okay. Um, I got netball next. And again, a bit like the uh, women's football, there are, there are 10 teams in it. And <clears throat> five of the 10 teams played twice over the, this weekend. It is very close, like the football. Sorry, sorry, Storm went top on 21 points, but that is the same points total as London Pulse. And Manchester Thunder and Manchester Thunder and Loughborough Lightning, are, are, who are in fourth, are on eighteen. So very tight at the very at the very top, and even closer with Loughborough Lightning. So too close to call as they reach the halfway of their season as well. But very very good to watch. Andy, now you've got our Irish influence today. Gaelic football. I'm absolutely hooked on this Gaelic football. I think it's got much more pace than the. English version, and uh, this weekend was very much a relegation battle that I was watching. So uh, Tyrone against Amar. Amar had to would be relegated if uh, Monaghan beats Mayo, and that's exactly what happened. So Tyrone beat uh, Amar not uh, 18 to not 16, and then Monaghan beat Mayo, and for the second year running, Monaghan escaped on the final day from relegation and this year winning with the final kick and they edged yeah. Mayo 214 to 014 um and kept their top flight status but really a knife edge there and as I said it came down to a last minute penalty kick which uh Monaghan converted which then keeps them in the top flight and relegated Armar. A, a draw which it looked like being would have been enough for Armar to escape on the final day, despite losing to Tyrone. So, uh, yeah, really exciting stuff, both in the game itself and in the league positions there. So, yeah, quite and definitely one that I would heartily recommend. It's coming to the end of the season now. It's just going to be the finals and the, uh, the, the final games. But if anyone can catch that on their either satellite providers or on uh, terrestrial providers, well worth a watch. Mm, it's, it's definitely hooked you, isn't it? Mm. Definitely. Okay, thank you. Um, contacts Ness. Andy, you've got one or two comments as I have had as well about our uh, lovely guest speaker last week, Daryl, Daryl Saunders. Yeah, so um old colleague of mine, Steve Jardine, got in touch and said, uh, A, loving the show, and B, he said, brilliant guest you had on this week with Daryl Saunders. He said, um Really exciting that this is a guy, it's clear that he's not just interested in the football club and being a, a, an owner and a, the chairman of a, a football club. He said, although he, it's clear that he's passionate about the club, what was even better was to hear that the plans he's got to support the local community and put in place a hub for the local community. So, yeah, there are another couple of people that said very similar. My mum also uh, a friend of mine, Phil, all of them were saying, you know, brilliant guest and absolutely great stuff that he's doing at Langley, both for the team on the pitch, but 
but even more so for the community off the pitch. Yeah, that's that's really nice. And I've had a number of comments as well. And, and he, he's a really good guy. And the nice thing is, from our point of view, he's more than happy to come back on and give us updates. And anyway, we can help him with our contacts. <clears throat> we surely will. Um, but nice feedback. Mike Dinsdale said he was delighted that you have given me the handle of Lord uh, Five Lawns. <laughs> he was delighted with that. He thinks that's totally appropriate. Um, and uh, he also said he just listened to the Gary Lineker kind of roundup that we did last week. And he said that was really good example of, of journalism. He said, I thought it was really well done. Congratulations to you both. So that was nice. Um, yeah, on, further on contacts, thank you so much for your many kind comments on Facebook after I, the earlier talking about the three-year anniversary. Sorry to labour the point, but I want to name check some of the people. They took the trouble to um, contact uh, Liz Bracken, and you said something to me very similar, not quite the same words, but she said, I'm exhausted just reading it. Uh, Suzanne Turner, who you obviously know, uh, fantastic, well done, Tony. That shows real commitment and dedication, very inspiring. As she adds a phrase there, which is a good one, consistency is the key to progress. Brian Valentine, a mate of mine who I used to run with many years ago, Brian's not been of great health in recent times, but he says, well done, Tony. I wish I could say the same. Mike Butterworth, friend of uh, Null and Void again, who's a triathlete, says, just one word, outstanding. Thanks, Mike. I really appreciate that. Multi-marathoner Andy McMenemy said, superb effort and result, Tony. Well-deserved congratulations to you. You absolutely have my respect, one athlete to another. It's been a great privilege to be trusted <coughs> excuse me, by you and Andy to contribute to the podcast. I think I should be interviewing you. Thank uh, so that, that, that's really nice, isn't it? Thanks, Andy. I really appreciate that coming from somebody at that level. And a, a bit like you were talking before uh, about your rugby player, that, um, just the hum humbleness of somebody like Andy, who's achieved so much to take the trouble to write that. I really did appreciate it. And that's smashing. Um, Mandy Young, friend of mine. Uh, well done, Tony. Great that you kept such a good reading going. So enough, no more. There are, there are others, but um, <laughs> it sounds like I'm, I'm blowing my own trumpet. I'm not. I just wanted to name check some of those two people that took the trouble to do it. And I really do appreciate those comments. I feel like a bit of a fraud, actually, because I love doing the exercise. But it was a significant anniversary. But, but thank you to you all. There we go. That's the Oscars acceptance speech done and dusted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got it all written out, ready. Uh, okay, let's bring the tone down a bit, all this celebration stuff. Um, get a grip. Now, a recent investigation, and we have mentioned this before, but there's now an investigation demonstrated that Premier League teams seem to be paying little or no heed to their need to reduce their carbon footprint. How do I know? Well, the facts were there. It was taken over a two-month period in January and March of this year. A hundred matches were looked at over that two-month period. Eighty-one of them involved flights. Eighty-one out of a hundred games. 
Examples were Liverpool's flight back from Newcastle, lasting 33 minutes. Manchester United's flight back from Wembley after winning the Carabao Cup, short flight time. The flight times ranged in total from 25 minutes to 77 minutes. The Premier League said, the kind of quote you'd expect, they said they're committed to reducing their overall carbon impact and recently hired a head of sustainability. So that'll sort it, won't it? With a strategy oh, that's a report. token job if ever I've heard one. But that oh, yeah. yeah, head of sustainability, lovely. Uh, with a strategy report going to come from him at some stage going forward. So the Premier League have just got to take a lead, but uh, so must the teams themselves play their part and because it's seriously impacting and making a really bad example of their showing at the moment. The Premier League recently, ironically, had a green football day, whatever that was. But it doesn't count for much when you see that record, all of which say counts for nothing when you look at this report. So the message is clear, Premier League, with your head of sustainability, get together with the clubs pronto. And the message from Null and Void is a clear one as well. Get a grip and quickly, but not by plane. I mean, if we're talking about reducing their carbon footprint and um, greenhouse gases and all those sort of things, well, I mean, the amount of hot air that is generated by the Premier League and the clubs, and as I say, a head of sustainability. Well, I've, well, I've heard it all now. You know, I thought that some of the roles that football came up with and some of the roles that local councils came up with without steering into Gary Lineker territory were always nebulous jobs and nebulous roles. But ahead of football sustainability, come on, seriously. I knew, I knew he's like that one. I have not made it up. That is what he's called. He's only a recent appointment, so I can't wait for his strategy report to come out. Well, as I say, I think the amount of hot air that that will generate would uh, be enough to fuel a couple of coal-fired power stations alone. So uh, maybe <laughs> maybe that's the way football goes green, that they pump up all this hot air and it replaces some of the uh, more um, brownfield uh, energy sites than currently. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, but that, that 81 flights from 100 matches, that is pathetic over a two-month period this year. At a push, I could almost justify, at a push, London to Manchester. Newcastle to Liverpool. Yeah. By the time you've got on the plane and got up, you could be across the uh, the M62 and the A. 25, 25 minutes was the least distance. You know, 25. And, and, you know, you've got to get to the airport. You've got to get through security. You have to go. And you, if you're on a coach, you're already halfway home. Yeah. I mean, I know we had a go at Nottingham Forest um, the last time we talked about this in Get a Grip, and definitely they deserved it. But as is evidently clear from this, certainly not the only ones. And absolutely ridiculous that these teams are flying all over the shop whilst at the same time promoting their green football days. You know what? If you're going to do it, crack on and do it. You know, yeah. I haven't got any offspring, so I don't care what happens after I'm gone to the park. <laughs> do that. But don't sit there and then on your podium and 
sanctimoniously talk about a green football day when 81% of your match day travel over that two-month period was by plane. You know, if you're going to do it, crack on and do it and, you know what, say we don't care. At least then if you come out and do that, you'd be authentic and genuine rather than sitting there on the one hand going, oh, we're worried about the environment and let's do a green football day and everyone's got to be sustainable and this is how we're going to do it. Oh, and by the way, the away team have flown in from the uh, from 35 minutes away today yeah. of this game. Uh, yeah, well, ho- hopefully you hear the message, uh, get a grip for null avoid very definitely on that one. Okay, that brings us to the close of this one, uh, this episode, 95. Uh, enjoyed it. The range of sports, again, is massive. It seems to be increasing every week. You know, we're, we're finding space. This week we didn't have a guest. I'm not sure we had room for one, to be honest. No, but we had to leave the really, guest off to get in all 10 sports that we covered this week. Yeah, no, really, really enjoyable. And um, make sure not only listen to this one, but be with us next week. Uh, for more of Null and Void, all the contact details at the end of this podcast. We're more than happy to hear from you, whichever way you want to contact us. A lot of it came through Facebook for me this week. doesn't matter. You get a hold of us. We'll listen to what you say and we'll pass on what you say, good or bad. But we enjoy what we're doing and we'll look forward to being with you at a time and a place, similar place for you anyway, uh, that suits you. See you next week. See you later. Cheerio, folks. Null and Void with Tony Grundy and Andy Callahan. Together, they don't add up to much. If you have a sports story, you can contact the team on nandv at forthenow.co.uk.